Hello and welcome to another episode of Full Court Finance here at Zach's. Today we're taking a look at two blue chip stocks to consider buying for 2023 for some long-term upside potential. The two stocks we're looking at are Intuit and MasterCard. But before we get into everything, remember to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcast and make sure to check out our zaxcom slash promo page for a look at some of our services, portfolios, and more. So we can do like a broader overview of the market just before we get into uh, the two stocks we're talking about today, just to give a better sense of kind of the, the mixed signals the market's sending us at the moment and why longer term investors might want to kind of block out the noise and consider taking a look at these two stocks and some other blue chip names heading into 2023. So we saw the market pull back pretty significantly on Monday and Tuesday with less selling on Wednesday. Uh, the benchmark's now back under that 200-day moving average after the bulls failed to hold that line. Uh, this came after that big surge last week that saw it climb above that level for the first time since April. So that wave of buying came after Powell's speech last week. It hardly really seemed sustainable. Then again, the rally after that slightly lower October CPI data didn't appear completely justified at the time. Still, the market ripped higher for most of November. Uh, and then we saw the selling return on Friday. We had five straight days of declines for the S&P 500 through Wednesday because of that strong jobs report and then some services, positive services activity and factory output. So Wall Street's really finding it difficult to gauge what's next. The Fed's rapid and large hikes uh, have certainly cooled some overheated areas of the economy, such as housing and technology, and we're seeing more job cuts show up, especially in those areas uh, that were impacted with heavy uh, heavy like over-investment sort of during the pandemic where they hired a lot more people just kind of expecting that economy to stay that way forever. So we're seeing lots of pullbacks there. Despite that slow wave of job cuts, uh, the U.S. labor market, as I sort of alluded to, remains really strong. This does put the Fed in a spot uh, where they're probably going to have to do more, to, uh, but we don't really know. This is this is what I'm saying. We're kind of getting mixed signals because the conventional wisdom would suggest that higher unemployment will be needed to bring down prices, but they've already done so much. They've rolled out an unprecedented wave of monetary tightening, and they're expected to raise by another 50 basis points in December. And Wall Street's now hoping that they will see what happens in the first couple of months of 2023 before they lift rates again, especially now with economists, more and more economists projecting a recession. We're seeing far more people kind of almost unanimous decisions, which I'll get to in a second. Uh, then again, the higher overall prices and strong household balance sheets are helping the likes of Target and Walmart and others post-revenue growth in 2022 and 2023, even as they come up against back-to-back -back years of booming growth. And then even higher-priced discretionary retailers like Lululemon are projected to post huge nearly 30% growth this year and another 14% growth next year. So there's still really strong uh, pockets of the U.S. economy, and that consumer spending is most of the U.S. economy. So the labor market could certainly remain stubbornly strong for the Fed's point of view, with many employers somewhat nervous to let go workers amid persistently tight, tight jobs market. Some of this is coming down to broader demographic changes and larger factors that are at play that are kind of out of the Fed's control. And then another just strange signal, too, is that oil prices are slipping. We're at pretty much new 52-week lows for oil prices uh, as Wall Street's kind of pricing in a recession, maybe. But then again, 
despite these prices being at 52-week lows, BP and Exxon and other oil giants are still up huge in 2022. And even though they've dipped, they're hardly trading as though the U.S. and the rich world are on the cusp of a recession. So with all these mixed signals, we could see far more choppiness in December and certainly more selling, especially depending on how the November CPI data comes in and what the Fed does in December and what they signal for 2023. But what we do know at this point is that Wall Street's telling us at the moment that they don't think the Fed's going to have to do too much more. Uh, the two-year Treasury yields back to about 4.29%, so about 4.3% on Thursday. It's up slightly from last week, but it's still well below its peaks of about 4.75% in early November. And the two-year yields largely reflecting where Wall Street thinks the Fed funds rate will end up. So with all of this said, investors with longer-term horizons certainly could be rewarded for standing firm amid all the volatility and sending, selling and maybe dollar cost average into some stocks, especially the ones we're talking about today. And it is worth noting, so if we look back at a chart over the last uh, 10 years for the S&P 500, the uh, market bounced off its 200 uh, weekly average, which is a key level people have been watching recently. And it bounced off of that uh, at the start of the fourth quarter. And then if we look more recently, and we're looking just at uh, 200 uh, day moving averages, as I mentioned, we popped above that and we're slipping back below that, but we're still well above that 50 day. So we could be kind of stuck in this range for the moment. And then in terms of valuation long term, the S&P 500 is trading at 17.5 times forward 12 month earnings at the moment, which is well below its highs uh, over the last 25 years. It traded as high as 26 times forward earnings, and that was back uh, in the dot-com bubble. And we're, we're not too far away from that median over the last 25 years, which is about 16.7. We're at 17.5 at the moment. So uh, we're certainly not getting down to those super cheap levels of the post-financial crisis meltdown when it was uh, well below around 10 times forward earnings. Uh, at various points. So we're, we're certainly not there yet. Uh, and who knows if we ever do get back to those levels. But if you're a longer term investor with a, a really at least five year time horizon, uh, these kind of levels and this kind of uncertainty is worth considering, especially when you have so many people saying we're headed for a recession. I'm not saying that take the contrarian view just because, but when everyone's saying something, it's always worth taking a step back and just looking at everything that's going on to to give a sense of uh, where you might be headed in terms of your investment strategies. So the three, the two stocks, excuse me, we're looking at today, the first one is Intuit, which trades in the ticker INTU. The company topped our Q1 FY 2023 earnings revenue estimates at the end of November, so just recently. The firm said it is experiencing weakness in its new, relatively new credit card credit karma segment, but it did reiterate its 2023 operating income and earnings per share guidance, which is a great sign amid all of the downward revisions for the broader S&P 500. The stock has tra traded rather wildly just since then, uh, and it's down huge from its peaks. So let's dive into Intuit and why it's worth considering in 2023 as a longer term buy. So Intuit's growing portfolio includes tax help, uh, giant turbo tax uh, I'm sure many people listening have used it or know someone who uses turbo tax it's very easy to use uh, along with accounting software small business money management tools and personal finance offerings Intuit then 
has spent the last several years in that pandemic boom uh, to really boost its portfolio going forward. It's done that through two major acquisitions. It bought personal finance company, what I just mentioned, Credit Karma. That was back in December of 2020. And then email marketing standout MailChimp last November. So the addition of MailChimp, which provides digital ad services, uh, customer relationship management tools, and more, expands its reach into a brand new pocket of the economy. So that marketing side of the business. So this will help it kind of roll out broader software offerings to small and mid-sized business clients. And the, the Intuit now boasts that it has over 100 million customers worldwide. The company has consistently grown its sales over the last 25 years with only two small year-over-year declines stuck in there. Uh, this run includes sales growth of between 11% and 32% over the last five, or excuse me, last seven years. So really positive double-digit growth over the last seven years in terms of the most recent year, which was 2022, which was that period for Intuit that ended in July. Its earnings were up 22% on 32% stronger sales. Obviously, this is including uh, some of those recent buys, so it was only up 24% in terms of revenue when you uh, take out MailChimp. And then overall, Zach's estimates are now calling for its sales to climb another 11% in 2023 and then 11% again in 2024. So some consistent, again, top-line growth that comes in well above inflation levels at the moment. And its adjusted earnings are expected to climb by 15% in both periods as well. So just really consistent, strong, stable growth from a firm uh, that operates really critical businesses now in many different areas of the economy. Uh, the company currently grabs a Zach's rank number three hold. And that said, it obviously hasn't stayed above the selling, as I mentioned, uh, that's hit lots of growth focused stocks. Intuit shares have tumbled 45% from their peaks. Uh, it, that said, though, the stock is still up 150% in the last five years to blow away the broader Zach's tech sector, which is up just 50%. And then over the last decade, it's up 545%. So the heavy selling mixed with the strong earnings outlook and its recalibrated valuation could set up a nice entry point. So the text, uh, it's it's now trading at 40 times 12-month earnings, which is still very uh, richly valued for some people, which is uh, well above the tech sector's average of 20 times. But this puts into it near its 10-year median and 55% below its high. So certainly its valuation levels are coming down. But Wall, Wall Street's been willing to pay up for the stock for a very long time. And you can see why with just that consistent growth in an area of the economy that was never going to go out of style on tax software and now various uh, key aspects of the small business segment. The company also has a really strong balance sheet and it pays a dividend which it recently raised uh, not that long ago by 15%. The company also repurchased over $500 million worth of shares in the first quarter with $3 billion remaining on its authorization program, so it's returning a ton of value to shareholders there. The stock is currently trading 20% below its current Zach's consensus price target, and Wall Street remains really bullish on the stock with 16 of the 18 brokerage recommendations that Zach's has coming in at strong buy. So therefore, investors might want to consider at least maybe nibbling or starting position in the diversified software stock that despite the economic turbulence is showing consistent steady growth on both the top and bottom lines. And it's expanding now to offer bundled packages. And once again, of course, taxes are never going to go out of style. So 
certainly Intuit looks worth considering. And then another stock that we're going to dive into today of these two blue chip stocks considered for 2023 is MasterCard, which trades on the ticker MA. MasterCard, as most of you know, is a consumer and business credit card powerhouse that operates that elaborate back-end processing network as well. On top of its uh, credit card segment, it's actively diversifying to help transform into a financial tech, so that fintech space that's designed to thrive in a digital payments world beyond just credit cards. So this, they're, they're hoping to compete against the likes of Block and other Wall Street banks that are also getting into the space. Some of MasterCard's newer efforts include cryptocurrency, which is obviously coming uh, under some heat recently, and then also some buy now, pay later stuff, which is also getting recalibrated in a big way. But these are still just tiny pockets of growth that they're, they're investing in for the possibility of long-term upside. They're still just a massive credit card business. Uh, so the company topped our Q3 estimates at the end of October with its core credit card segment remaining really strong. It's travel-focused in cross-border segments, still thriving despite the economic downturn fears. The company said that its consumer spending remains really resilient. We should also note that MasterCard's guidance didn't really slip by much after its Q3 results came in, which is really impressive, as I mentioned with Intuit, that most of the market is seeing their earnings decline in a really, really significant way. Uh, but people continue to spend really heavily despite the 40-year high inflation and credit cards really remain the lifeblood of consumer spending in the U.S. and around much of the world. It's also vital to remember that higher income customers uh, account for a large chunk of retail spending and they are far less impacted by the current bout of inflation and are just normally far less impacted by various economic cycles. Uh, MasterCard's 2021 revenues claim, climbed 23%. Outpaced its pre-pandemic totals by two billion, and then its 2021 earnings climbed 31%. So at the moment, we're calling for 17% sales growth this year in 2022, and then another 13% higher revenue in 2023 to climb uh, up to about 25 billion. So once again, both the both of these growth estimates are well above the current inflation level. So always remember when we're talking about growth that these are not adjusted for inflation. So if a company is supposed to do 3% growth this year, that's less than inflation. So we're looking for companies that are doing far more than that. And then in terms of adjusted earnings, it's expected to surge 26% this year and then another 19% in 2023. And its ability to grow its sales and earnings by double digits during inflation is really impressive. Uh, the company has also only failed to beat our EPS estimates once in the last five years. And then plus, just recently on December 6th, it announced some rather big spending efforts to return value to shareholders. The company boosted its quarterly dividend by 16%. And it said that its board of directors approved a new share repurchase program, authorizing it to repurchase up to $9 billion of its Class A stock. The new repurchase program will become effective at the completion of the company's previously announced $8 billion program, which it rolled out in November of 2021. So as of December 1st, the company said that it had approximately $4.1 billion remaining under that current repurchase program. So they're going to keep buying back a lot of the stock, uh, which is really good for shareholders and shows just how uh, the company has a strong balance sheet as well. MasterCard also currently lands a Zacks rank number three hold in 14 of the 19 brokerage recommendations that Zacks has are coming in at strong buys uh, with three more at buys and just two holds. Also, its shares have held up really well, all things considered, in 2022, especially when you look at other growth stocks in this area and fintech companies. The stock is trading around 13% below its peaks 
at around $350 per share, and it's only actually down 3% in 2022 versus its broader Zaxx Econ sector's 29% decline and the S&P 500's 19% downturn. If we look over the last five years, the stock is up 130% versus the S&P 500's 50% climb, and MasterCard is up 620% over the last 10 years versus the S&P 500's 185% run. And then in terms of valuation, its valuation looks pretty stellar considering that the stock has not been crushed that hard. It's trading at a 40% discount to its highs over the last 10 years at 29 times forward earnings, which is really impressive. And this is also just above its own 10-year median. So nice valuation levels for MasterCard at the moment. And then I just quickly want to end by noting that a lot of people have probably thought why MasterCard and Visa have held up so well amid all of the fintech unicorn talk and all the fintech disruption. There was actually a Financial Times article I read just the other day that was titled Why Visa and MasterCard Have Yet to Face Their Kodak Moment, which is referring to digital cameras overtaking Kodak in film cameras and it just becoming a relic of the past. Uh, the article noted that there are now 332 different fintech unicorns in the world, according to uh, a new ranking by small business portal Fintech Lab. So take that for what it is. But this is the financial time. So a really reputable source. But overall, the article was just pointing out to the core explanation being, quote, uh, even the smartest fintechs are not fundamentally disrupting the market. They're merely slotting themselves into the existing payment architecture. Quote, yes, they may make life easier for the consumer or the merchant with faster back-end processing or slicker point-of-sale interfaces, uh, but this is not at the expense of Visa and MasterCard, whose electronic rails they nearly all rely on. So the big old guard company or big old card companies might look right for disruption, uh, but they their interchange fees, which average about 2% in the U.S., uh, they're they're just able to continue to dominate the market, and as I said, the company is a strong financial footing. So if they really do see disruption, they're already investing in areas of how to become these quote unquote fintech disruptors. They could buy up some of these peers, and we've seen in the last couple of years that some of these fintech companies, their valuations were completely bloated and totally out of whack with reality. So. It's great to see a company like MasterCard holding up in this environment, even as you see some of these uh, privately held companies see their valuations slashed totally and companies like Block suffering a lot. So MasterCard certainly seems like a, a both a near-term and long-term play within the broader non-cash economy that we're living in. So that does it for another episode of Full Court Finance. Until next time, I'm your host, Ben Rains. And remember, if you have any questions, please feel free to shoot us an email over at podcast at sachs.com. This material is being provided for informational purposes only, and nothing herein constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. Do not act or rely upon the information and advice given in this podcast without seeking the services of competent and professional legal, tax, or accounting counsel. Publication and distribution of this podcast is not intended to create, and the information contained herein does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No recommendation or advice is being given as to whether any investment or strategy is suitable for a particular investor. It should not be assumed that any investments in securities, companies, sectors, or markets identify and described were or will be profitable. All information is current as of the date herein and is subject to change without notice. Any views or opinions expressed may not reflect those of Zach's investment research as a whole.